All right, I'm going to go ahead and get started because <clears throat> uh, we need to cover some things here. And I want to leave some time open for questions also. Uh, <clears throat> we want to make our soil permanently fertile, and we can do that. Um, now, when, <clears throat> when we make charcoal, if you take a magnifying glass or um, a uh, microscope and look at charcoal, you'll see that there are thousands, millions of little holes that are created in that charcoal as the gas was escaping there. <clears throat> now, th that's perfect. Th that makes for condominiums for the microbes and uh, the other soil life that we want that Chuck's been telling us about here. <clears throat> um, and properly used, uh, you'll get tremendous results from this. Improperly used, you can do some serious damage. Uh, <clears throat> now that, that life in the soil, uh, it's gonna digest the rock powders that we have in the soil, and it's gonna also eat the organic matter in the soil, and then that as those uh, that'll release those nutrients to your plant, to your plant roots, um, as they need them. There, do we have this on? Um, Not quite yet. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, as as you get that life build up in the soil, now the the one thing that's going to give you better results than anything else that I have done anyway uh, by far is to make that soil alive just to make it full of life and we're talking about the fungi plants the mushroom type plants uh, and we're talking about microbes and uh, <clears throat> and of course the earthworms that come in there uh, <clears throat> uh, you'll also uh, when that happens, you'll lighten that soil so that uh, it's easier to work. Um, now, somebody told me earlier today that they put charcoal into their soil and it made it tighter. You don't want more than 10% uh, by volume. You don't want more than 10% by volume of this charcoal into your soil beds. There. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I want to tell you a story as to, as to why we know um, why we know that this makes the soil permanently fertile. All right? If you go into the Amazon jungle, you go into any place where they have lots of rain, and you'll find that the nutrients wash out of the soil. There's very little calcium, very little phosphate, and other minerals in that soil. Now. Uh, if you go into the Amazon jungle, and I've been there, you'll see that the jungle grows wonderfully well. It's just a, it's a tangle of big trees and vines and what have you. It's hard to chop your way through it. Uh, what we're looking at, when you look at the, a tree, a bush, or tomato plant, whatever, what you're looking at out there, uh, fully 94, maybe even 96% of what we're looking at didn't come from the ground at all. It came from the air came from carbon dioxide, came from oxygen and uh, water, uh, different minerals in, in, in the air. Uh, <clears throat> so, 
Scientists noticed a while back, starting clear over in Peru and working on down the Amazon, they noticed that there are very small plots of ground in the Amazon that are very rich. Uh, <clears throat> these were owned by native Indians who were not putting any fertilizer on it. They couldn't afford to put fertilizer on it. But these little plots of ground were very, very rich, sometimes an eighth of an acre or less, just small uh, areas there. And right here in this plot, um, the mango, the papaya, jackfruit, whatever, would grow very well and it would produce very well for, for people. But you go just over here uh, and the same plant, the same tree, wouldn't produce. It'd grow, but it wouldn't produce uh, for human food. So they said, well, what's happening here? So they started to dig down into the ground to see. Uh, pull a chair up, Gil. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so they dug down into the ground to see what's happening there, what's making this difference. In every case, they found what they call black earth, um, tierra prieta, they call it, black earth. And in every case, they found broken pottery. Now, because there was broken pottery, uh, they knew that these were old dumps. They do the same thing way back then that they do now. They take everything out to the dump and they burn it. Well, because there's broken pottery, they could also uh, date it. So uh, the, the dates for, those, for that broken pottery was 1,500 years to 2,500 years there. So uh, uh, obviously this soil has been fertile for a long, long time. And in reading about this, the scientists said that it almost seems like it regenerates itself. Now, this black earth, this Tierra Prieta, is deep in the ground. Um, often it was as much as three meters deep. So uh, uh, you don't want this just on the surface, it goes way down. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> So by, by adding this to your soil, um, properly inoculated, that means properly charged is the word they use in the industry. That means we've got lots of inoculation there. Okay, uh, do we have a, okay, let's just look at this. All right, to make biochar, you wanna get a really hot, hot fire. Um, and when you have red hot coals like that, then you want to take out all of the oxygen. And if you're doing this at home, um, maybe a good way to do it is to just have a big uh, front end loader of sand and to dump it on that to exclude the oxygen. Now, we don't want the, we don't want, um, the ash in most cases. The ash is gonna be very high in potassium. Um, sometimes we need it and sometimes we don't. But generally we don't want the ash because usually we have enough potassium in most soils there. So don't take the ash, do take the charcoal. And when you, let's go to the next picture. Um, now when you exclude uh, the oxygen, this is what we're gonna end up with, with, with um, uh, just charcoal. And I know there are all kinds of 
barrel systems and other systems. There are big commercial operations making charcoal too. <clears throat> I'll, I'll do my best. Can you come forward a little bit? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> but basically we've got to exclude that, that uh, oxygen and uh, then this will not go to ash. It will just go to charcoal. Now, uh, what I have done at home is that we take that charcoal and we run it through a shredder, a little shredder that we use there. And it's kind of a nasty job. You're going to end up with black soot all over you. Um, but uh, some of it will powder and some of it will just make, it will just go into smaller chunks and that's okay. Um, now, then we took this charcoal. If you just take that charcoal and you put it into the garden, you're going to get a real negative effect there. Yes, question? Uh, the sand, um, so that's just to put it out? That's just to put it, put out. it out. And then to get the sand out, you just kind of screen it out or what? Sure. Anything that works, you could dump water on it. Um, and of course, yeah. Yeah, anything that works. You just want to put that fire out. You don't want it to continue to, to, to burn there. Now, <clears throat> there's something called <clears throat> Korean uh, organic gardening. And my daughter, who's got a garden right next to mine, decided she wanted to do that one day, one year. And so she studied up on that. And we went into the woods and collected different life from the woods. We went into um, deep woods, uh, especially towards the base of trees and old dead trees, and we pulled that stuff out. You know, you wanted you wanted a dark color. Um, if it's if it's light color, it doesn't have the life in it. If you watched the tree planting yesterday, you could see that we had topsoil that was dark, and underneath that, it was very very light. the The reason it's light is there's no life in it there. So you want the life in it. That's what we want there. So she got this, uh, we collected this stuff from the woods. She also went underneath grass plants and she would collect um, microbes or she would collect a little bit of the soil and um, the leaves of the grass plants there also because those are two different types of, of uh, life there. So she put that in too. Um, she used um, milk in this project and some other things there. Anyway, now I also inoculated that with, uh, with inoculants that I get from International Ag Lab. Do you have inoculants? Do you use yes. inoculants? Okay. Yeah. So, but now the inoculants that may work in Minnesota or uh, wherever um, may not work where you, where you are. But what you gathered from underneath the trees and underneath the grass, you know that that life is going to live there. It's already living there. Uh, <clears throat> so we put this in the compost pile. And in a few weeks' time, she ended up with a big piece of yellow thing that looked like a big cheese growing through that compost pile there. When the compost was done, uh, she and her husband took that compost, broke it up, and they put it all over their property. They put it on rose bushes and grapevines and whatever, uh, all over. Now, I didn't think anything more of it uh, until the next spring without, without adding 
fertilizer to that spot, um, they had decided to plant some peppers there. Total of five rows of peppers. Three of these rows, they're, they're five feet apart, three of these rows were right on top of where that compost pile had been. Now the compost is all gone. <clears throat> the two rows over at the side or over by the fence, um, close to the chicken coop, and thank you, thank you, I need that. Um, close to the chicken coop, uh, and there was no compost above that. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> as the peppers came up, um, the two rows over in the, by the fence, um, uh, the tops of them were about like this, and we had peppers there, maybe as big as my fist. And if I had nothing to compare it to, I would have said, we had a good crop of peppers there. But you move over to the next three rows, and the pepper plants, the tops of them are as high as me. Uh, the the um, breadth of those plants was at least four times as much in breadth, and covered with the most beautiful, big uh, peppers that I have ever seen. And just an abundant crop, not just a few peppers, but just abundant crop there. Incredible there. Now. <clears throat> The season was over, snow flies, so we tear everything out and put it in a compost pile. Again, I didn't think anything of it. And the next spring, they decided to plant corn in the same place there. The same thing happened with the corn. The two rows over by the fence were okay, but we move over to the, these three rows where we had had that compost, <clears throat> um, and, and we had very, very good growth with that corn. Uh, somebody forgot to close the gate to the chicken pen one day, so most of the corn got eaten by the chickens when it was this big. <laughs> uh, but the corn that did come up was very nice uh, and did very, very well there. Okay. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's go to this. All right. Biochar can make the soil permanently fertile. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> Okay, now there's somebody with a good, healthy garden, and uh, let's go to one that doesn't have much life in it. So we can end up with very poor soil, or we can end up with a very rich garden there. Next picture. <clears throat> okay, this is, this is a text I like. This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> he who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. God tells us that he will tell us things we could not possibly know. We have lots of texts and lots of promises that tell us uh, similar things. God is willing to teach us, and he wants us to ask for it. So let's ask for that right now. Father in heaven, we need to be taught. And there are many things that we would not know, not be able to know, unless you teach us. So we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and teach us. Uh, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's go to another text. Okay, I want you to look here. This is uh, this, at the different soil life. Here we've got a mole. We've got lots of earthworms. And um, here we've got mites. And um, here's the uh, mushroom-type plants, the mycorrhiza there, and uh, just all kinds of 
of stuff in the soil. Now, most of our food today is grown on mostly dead soil. So this is what we want. We want that soil to be absolutely alive. And that is going to give you more um, bang for the buck, let's say, than anything else that you can do there. Okay, let's go to the next question. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, uh, here you can see the roots of a little plant. And here you can see, this is a fun, fungi plant. Am I pronouncing that right? Fungi. Fungi plant, okay. And you see it looks like cobwebs there. Those are not cobwebs. Those are the roots for the fungi plants. They're the mushroom type plants. And there are many, many different um, varieties of them there. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, here's a tiny little pine tree. And you can see its roots coming down here. And then this is, is the mushroom type plant, the fungi plant. And it's gathering water and nutrients from a much, much larger area uh, to feed those plants. <clears throat> Uh, so that's what we want. We want to get that done. Uh, let's go to another picture. Okay. Um, periodic chart. Uh, you studied way back in high school chemistry class. Um, and uh, everything that God created, meaning all of the minerals uh, and all of the gases even, uh, are available to the plant. Now the gases of course go through the air so the plant can take carbon dioxide and other things out of the air. There. Uh, what is not available to the plant or what we don't want there are the radioactive things that we make. Now those would be deadly poisons so of course we don't want that in our garden. There. <clears throat> but all of the other plant, all of the other nutrients we want. Uh, I want to give you a um, this borrows a little bit from the next talk, but we give you an idea here. Uh, some of these things are, we, we, uh, we call these poisons. There's, uh, well, let's see. There's arsenic. There's lead. There's cadmium. Uh, hey, those are, those are poisons, are they not? Yeah, we do things that are lifestyle centers to detox people from those things. So... Um, but all of these are available to the plant. Now, why do we want them available to the plant? Uh, I want to tell you that, uh, <clears throat> that if they're in a, an organic form, um, that they are far less, they're not dangerous. They're useful. Matter of fact, let's, let's talk about arsenic. A few years ago, uh, they discovered that arsenic was necessary for human health, obviously in small amounts there. Uh, but let's go to another idea here, and that is that, that the minerals as we find them in a crystalline form, now where we find them that way is in the ocean, in the ocean water salts. They are in a crystalline form, and no animal, not even insects, can use those directly. So if you were to drink ocean water, it would do you little good. Matter of fact, it might harm you. Uh, maybe you'd get a little benefit out of it because of the flora that you have in your gut there. Uh, but a plant, a plant is the only thing that can take that up. Not even insects are going to take that up. 
So the plant's going to take those minerals up those in the crystalline form through the roots and then in the leaf of the plant, which is the factory for that plant, it's going to combine it with carbon from carbon dioxide from the air. Uh, now, what was a crystalline chemical that we can't use directly uh, becomes an organic food and now it becomes a very healthy, uh, useful uh, food that your body can recognize and use. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So if, if you get these minerals in that organic form, uh, they are not toxic or they're uh, in proper amounts. Um, they are not toxic. They will not cause you a problem. So get, get those minerals um, into your body in a form that the body can use and uh, not in the um, don't, don't drink the ocean water directly there. Okay, let's see, do we have another one here? Okay, this, <clears throat> okay, this goes to slash and burn. Now, um, primitive uh, peoples all over the world have used this slash and burn. And <clears throat> so they will cut down the forest, burn it, and then they'll scatter some seeds out here. And in five, six years, maybe eight years maximum, that land is worn out. It's no good. Uh, and they have to move on and start all over again there. So why are we putting this stuff on the ground if slash and burn hasn't worked for a thousand years there? <clears throat> um, they're depleting the ground here. We need to put it in in the, in the right form, which means fully charged, absolutely fully charged. Like I talked about that compost pile. Like you and I went into the woods um, yesterday. Did you guys go back in the woods today? Yes, today we did. Okay, and you found some good yes. life in the... Yes, we went a little bit further back in. Oh, okay. All right. So if you were in Chuck's class, you saw that. Um, uh, so we need, to, we need to get that life uh, in, into our, our compost pile here. Okay, I think we've got another picture. Okay, this is... <clears throat> That's just a picture of a compost pile. We want to take that charcoal and we, you've got to fully inoculate it. You've got to fully charge it in order to get the benefit uh, from it. Question? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Do we have another picture? Is that it? That's I think that's it. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, okay. I want to leave... Um, time for some questions and answers. I do want to say this, that as you, a lot of you have a chance to, let me finish this and I'll get your question here. Yes. Uh, just about any tree. Uh, was it Monday we were over at, um, um, at a mission? Yeah. And uh, they were making charcoal out of bamboo, which is very good, but it's the same principle there. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, now, a lot of you, I want to talk about that, though. A lot of you have um, taken wood chips, um, had them dumped on your property there. You, you do not want to use the wood chips in the garden that uh, are conifers, anything with a needle. Okay? We don't want fir, we don't want cedar, pine. 
there. They put out a poison, as a wood chip, they put out a poison uh, that's going to harm your garden. So you don't want that. Use that instead. We want to use those conifers to make the biochar. Okay? Use that. That's a good material. Don't, don't waste that there. Now, uh, if you can get the small little twigs from oaks and maples and rose bushes and other small bushes uh, about this time of year. See, the, the plants are collecting nutrients all year long. Your trees are collecting nutrients. And, and in the spring of the year, they are pushing all of these sugars and nutrients up into those tiny branches. And so you, if you can get the wood chips that are an inch, maybe no more than two inches thick, um, chopped up fine, you can use those on the garden to very, very good advantage. Okay, but don't use the conifers. Use the conifers for, for uh, making the biochar there. Now, now let me go back to the chips though, because if you just put those chips out there, they'll be full of sap, okay, full of life there. If you just put those chips out there, they're going to die. So now you've got to go back and do what you did earlier is to get life from the, from the forest. They, we call that a leaf mold. <clears throat> you want to rake back, <clears throat> want to rake back what fell last fall, the dead leaves and pine needles, rake that off, uh, and then get the, uh, the leaf mold with some of the dirt there, it's just a thin layer in there. You want to get that, and you want to put that on top of these little chips there, because we've got to get the life back to those chips. You've got to keep that moist the whole time, and pretty soon, uh, well, uh, then, then you don't dig that in deeply. Okay? We've been told, Spirit of Prophecy, to dig deeply and to dig often. <clears throat> so you, you, any digging you're, done, you're going to do, that's done before. And then you put on the wood chips and the leaf mold on top of it. You keep that moist. Pretty soon mushrooms will start growing out of that. You've got to get that life there, otherwise it's just going to die and dry up there. Okay? All right, questions? In, incorporating, what's the, uh, how do you suggest incorporating the biochar once you've done your thing and you know, crushed it up? Um, do you just spread it on the garden or do you work it into the, your compost and then put it in? Or? Okay. okay, it's a good, good question. Um, okay, how are we going to um, spread this? Okay, last year at this conference, I was supposed to be teaching biochar. <clears throat> so I went and got a 70-pound bag of biochar, uh, <clears throat> spread it according to the company's recommendations. They said, put it one inch thick and dig it in 10 inches deep. So I did that, just like they told me to. Um, if you had looked at my garden last summer, last fall, you would have said, what's the matter with that row? That was my biochar row there. But you hadn't charged it. Um, it was supposed to have some charging when it came. I don't think it had enough charging for one thing. Yeah. But let me tell you what I found. Um, so when I have a problem in the garden, I'll often sacrifice a few plants. I'll dig down and see what's going on. So, you know, the worst plants are struggling anyway. Um, worst I could do is kill them. So anyway, I dug down in that row in a couple of different places to see what was happening. 
Here's what was happening. The, the biochar was keeping the moisture in the top 10 inches. See, we've had a drought in California for several years. And, uh, and so they were selling this product for golf courses and lawns and whatever to keep the moisture in the top 10 inches so they would use less water. So it was doing exactly what it was uh, supposed to do. Now that row had been double dug, so the roots should have gone way down in there and been just fine. But as I dug down in there, it was too dry. From 10 inches down, it was too dry for the tomato roots and squash and bean roots to go down into that. Uh, uh, so. Uh, remember we talked about the Amazon jungle and that sometimes this stuff was nine and ten feet deep in the ground. Um, now if you're planting anything the Ellen White method or if you're doing any double digging then you want to get that spread through the whole thing there evenly. Only, uh, only a maximum of 10% by volume, no more than that. But you want it spread through the whole thing and I do believe that it needed a whole lot better charging yes. there. Now I have bought um, biochar from a, an organic company. Uh, this was in Portland, Oregon, and got it back and read the label and they said, oh, you need to charge this by the way. There was no life in it. They just sold us charcoal there. Uh, anyway, charge it there. Yes, sir. Do you, do you charge it? Um does it matter if you charge it before or after you you apply you it? Charge it before. You charge, charge it, it before. If you put that in the earth without charging it, you will not grow anything on that for several years. Yes. Hmm. Yes. You must charge it with biology. And a lot of people, and I don't do this, I, I wouldn't recommend this, but a lot of people do nutrients at the same time because it's a sponge. It will literally absorb everything into the cavities of this biochar. It's a sponge. And so it sucks it all in and holds it for you. When you put it in the earth, it's charged. And it starts working instantly if you charge it ahead of time. But you charge it with biology. That's what you charge it with. And do you charge it before you put it in the chipper and shredder or after you put it in? After the shredder. After the shredder. We, we want to, yeah, we want it. We want to powder it and what's that? How long do you charge it for? Oh, well, do you have an answer for that? Okay, so biochar, it depends on the method you use of charging. There isn't any singular right method. Some people mix it in with their compost and they leave it there for a couple of months and then they spread the whole shebang on their garden and then they incorporate it into the top of, the top of their soil. Other people take and put a bunch of biology in water with a bubbler, like 250 gallons, with, and then they just run it right straight through the biochar and they save the, pop, the stuff that comes off the bottom and it's the richest, okay? So you're running this stuff through, say for instance you have a 55 gallon drum or two 55 gallon drums welded together. They run the water with all of this biology straight through it, but they save it when it comes out the bottom. Okay. And that is the best. And then they take that and pour it on their soil, on their gardens. But they let the other kind of drain and then they put it out. Once that gets, this stuff is so dry, it literally just sucks it up. And, and the biology stays in the crevices. When you look at biochar under a microscope, it looks like honeycomb. And it's all vacant holes for all this biology to sit in and just stay in it. 
And it's a remarkable thing. It, it works wonders, remarkably. And so you should be, this is, this is one of the important classes to take, is understanding biology. And there's a lot of different ways to make it. You know, he, he was saying, Lynn was saying that, you know, you put it in a pit, you start this fire, get it glowing, and then you put it out. Well, some people do it in 55-gallon drums. They get it good and burning. They put a lid on, close it down, and inside of it, it just goes out. Okay, so it burns all of the oxygen. Okay, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. So there isn't any singular right way to make biochar, but it is a very effective tool. And we should use it. We should start using it. In the Amazonian region where this place is, they don't use any fertilizers. They've grown and grown for hundreds of years these wonderful crops, and they use nothing but putting plants in the soil and putting seeds in the soil. That's all. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Can yes? You, can you use what they sell as activated charcoal? Is that the same thing? <clears throat> activated charcoal goes through a, another step. And it's, okay, so the difference between charcoal and biochar and activated charcoal are se several different steps. Charcoal doesn't burn off all the oils, okay? So it just gets it on fire and then it puts it out and leaves the oils in there. Biochar goes to the next step and the oils are burned off and left dry. Okay, the charcoal is left dry. And it's so stable, it literally will stay the same and will not go back to the atmosphere for 5,000 years. That's what they estimate, scientists estimate that. The next step is the cleaning of it so it gets rid of the residues. So at 1800 degrees, they take this biochar now and put it into a big tank and they steam it for 1800 degrees and wash it. And then it's activated. So that's the activated charcoal that we buy for medicinal purposes. And it's a lot more expensive and you wouldn't want to use it because it's so expensive. Not in the garden. But you can buy the biochar. But you can from the same company. They just leave off the final step. It's expensive. It's very expensive if you get activated charcoal. Yes, sir. Seems seems like you're being Bio very seems like you're being very non-specific about the biology that you use to charge it, but are suggesting that you use whatever lives locally in the local forests. And so, just clarifying, because you're hard to, to hear. So, you go and harvest local biology, and you compost the charcoal with that local biology as well as other com compost constituents. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yes. What, what yeah. you want to do, biology lives in certain areas of the country. Okay? So what happens is the biology that's in the southeast in Florida is different than the biology that's in Michigan. It's completely different biology. And so what you have to understand, it's indigenous microorganism. They live here. Okay? And they will not live in Alaska, and Alaska's won't live here. And ours won't live in Texas, and Texas's won't live here. So what you want to do is have biology that's within 75 miles of the area you're going to have your garden. So 7,500 miles in any direction, all the way around you, you'll get that biology and inoculate this biochar with that biology by going into the forest and harvesting harvesting humus and then mixing it with, the, with, the, with water and humic acid and seaweed and then pouring it on this biochar and then you charge it with it. You're charging it. So you're transferring, you're basically transferring. You can, you can actually take and put it in a bubbler and bubble it out so, it, so this, this uh, biology goes into the water uh, with, with seaweed, humic acid, molasses, and then you pour that water over your biochar, you charged it. 
okay? It absor absorbs it so fast that most of it just stays right in the biochar because of these empty cavities. And then, when you put that in the soil, if you were to take that stuff and not charge, put that stuff in the soil, it takes all the nutrients right out of the, out of the soil and just absorbs it into it, and it won't give it to anybody but itself. That's why it's important to charge it. If you don't charge it, you will starve that land for two years minimum. And you won't grow anything on it. Okay. I, I uh, took biochar and put it in and charged it in one row of sweet potatoes. And it, it was amazing because the sweet potatoes and, uh, collapsed or just grew right around the biochar and sucked all the nutrients out. One of my plants had 23 sweet potatoes and all of them were over a pound. Wow. Wow. It, it was a, nice. a big group of sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. 23 sweet potatoes, all of them over a pound. That's a great, that's How a great. How did you charge it? I just had it in a compost pile. Uh -huh. there you go. Okay. Compost has all kinds of microorganisms in there. Yeah. We had a question. Just one comment. In Australia, if we, if we turn up a new patch of ground and we want to grow and grow, go and grow wheat, if we don't bring in biology from a previous wheat growing uh, area, which started in Europe, that's where we had to get it first, we just can't grow wheat there. Interesting. Okay, so I just wanted to point out that maybe in some environments like ours, we actually need to import some biology um, to, to make certain crops grow. There are certain biology that's common around the entire world, and you could buy those, okay? But the majority of them, and that's, that's probably about 25% of all the biology we would use in a biological farm, but the 75% you get from indigenous species locally. You know, when you look at endo and ecto mycorrhizal fungi, when you look at azotobacter and rhizobium and stuff, that's common all over the world. And so you would like to charge all of your biochar with those things that are common from all over the world, but that's not the only thing that you would charge your biochar with. You would charge it with the indigenous microorganisms. And there's ways through Korean farming that he was talking about. Study the Korean natural farming methods. They know how to harvest biology, and they are masters at it. They do a great job, mm -hmm. yeah. I wanna just make a comment. If we take a tree and we grind it up and we make compost out of it, in two or three years time, it's gone. I mean, we put it in the garden or whatever, but it's gone. It's gone back to carbon dioxide, water. It's just gone. Uh, but we take that same tree and we make charcoal out of it. It stays there for 5,000 years? It stays there, it stays there. And when we charge it then properly, you just get very, really, stable. very stable and you get great results. Let's go here first. Um, so you talked about there's a, a compost that you make that you could charge the charcoal with. And then you also talked about a kind of a, a, a liquid mixture that you make out of a hummus. Do you do a hummus? Humus. humus. That's all right. My wife always does it. Okay, just because she likes hummus. <laughs> but anyway, uh, do you do both or do you can do both one or the you other? Want. You can do one or the other. One you can do other. both. Okay. It doesn't really matter just as long as you charge it. <clears throat> one takes longer than the other. The compost the takes compost longer than the tea. Longer. So yeah. one takes a couple months because you're kind of. The longer you wait, the more the more biology is in it. Right. Okay. As long as you keep it moist, it's important right. to keep it moist. Okay, Phil. So once you lay it down. Is the soil now permanently fertile? You'll never have to do it again? Or when do you repeat it? You always need nitrogen. We have a nitrogen cycle. 
nitrogen is always going back into the air. So we want to make sure that we have the, the biology that's going to put nitrogen back into that soil. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're going to be nitrogen starved. Am I right there, or do you well, have you a different take on it? Well, you have to keep it moist. As long, if you've charged it, it has a good variety of biology. As long as you keep it charged, as long as you keep it moist, it's going to live right on forever. They multiply, they, they divide. You know, you think about it. For every, every hour, uh, 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 bacteria multiplies in two. Boom, 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 constantly. And when you're making compost tea, by the end, it, this stuff is multiplying exponentially. It's just growing and growing and growing and multiplying. So, so if you just leave it in the earth and let it dry out and get into a powder, it's, you're going to have to recharge it and you're going to have to redo your garden. But you have to keep it damp. That means you have to keep, keep living roots in it or you have to keep mulch over it or you have to keep moisture in it. They love moisture. Biology loves moisture. And as long as it's damp, it's going to live forever. Chuck, let me ask you if you'll clarify something. Uh, when you're using this bubbler, uh -huh. if, we, if we don't bubble air through it, are we going to kill the biology? Um, not necessarily. Okay, so we use the bubbler to knock the, the biology off of the humus or off the compost into the water. That's okay. what that's purpose is. If, once you knock it off of the water, into the water, it can last for 48 hours in that water without bubbling. Okay. But, without drowning? Huh? Without, without drowning? Without drowning. Because okay. there's enough oxygen there and there's not a lot of creatures. But if you start feeding it humic acid, uh, seaweed, or molasses, it's growing exponentially and it's got to have a lot of air. Okay. So then you bubble it because you're growing the microbes. Yes. Okay? Yes. Okay. In the back of the room. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, we had a question. I had a question. When you're um, making your fire to create your biochar, is there a certain size of log or that works better? I mean, is bigger better, is smaller better to get that charcoal? <laughs> I've used everything from wood chips okay. to two by fours to four by fours to chunks. Okay. Uh, it seems to work better if we don't have too big of a uh, thing, but, but I'm not, yeah, but I'm not a, um, I'm not a professional charcoal maker, you see, and they, they use all kinds of stuff there. Yes, sir. I had a guy, I have a greenhouse facility, and I had a guy contact me about a year ago about making biochar. He was a mad scientist, I don't know what, reason, biology or whatever, but this guy was the real deal. He, uh, he worked for like NASA or something and he would, they, they were taking charcoal and they were reactivating it after they would do big oil spill cleanups and stuff. That's where he began to work with this biochar. And he was showing me how it would take the residue out of the soil from uh, Roundup and these things and absorb it like a sponge and then release it back slowly and all this. But he wanted to work with us in our facility because we already had big wood chip boilers. So he wanted to, he already had built um, a machine to, to make biochar. But he, for now, he would make different types of biochar and test it because the size of the, of the char would, would, some would be good, would have really high levels of, of uh, one thing and then another. So he, he, he had it all down to a science. 
But what I realized was that because he was still in the process of building this, so he could sell the biochar, he would go to the he would go to these plants that burned the wood chips, and he found the plants that uh, produce electricity, and he find one that was an old plant that didn't burn it very well, and it produced some of the best biochar. So what I started doing because we had big huge fields, and when you want to cover it 10 percent. Like we had to find large quantities to, to, to work with. So we just would, we'd, we'd go and, and we'd, we would work with this wood ash. We would find the one that wasn't burned like that and use that as our biochar. And it seemed to work really well. So that might be an option. But the, getting back to your question, the wood chips, he was, his, his, his machine was a tumbler and, it, and he was feeding it wood chips. And, and you know, cutting the oxygen down and, and working on it like that is the way he did it. So, I don't know, that's what we did. That's how we got it. We didn't actually make it. We just bought it from, um, I'm up in Massachusetts, so it's RMI, Resource Management Industry or something. They might be all over the place though. They are. So. They are. <clears throat> okay, I wanna, um, I wanna ask you, Chuck, for clarification on another thing. This goes into the next, the next class that's happening right here. We're going to be dealing with ocean water minerals. Uh, do you use the ocean water minerals to help charge this? Yes, they recommend using C90, which yes. has 90 different minerals, and you follow the directions, don't overcharge it, because then you'll end up with too much salts in your, in your right. soil. SEA-90. And I buy it by the 50, 50 pound bags, mm -hmm. but um, it doesn't take very much. You just like put a tablespoon per five gallons, and it really, there's not much to it. And it has all the minerals that we need in our soils. Yes. Okay, so it's just distilled seawater. <clears throat> That's all it is. Yes. Now, you can go to the grocery store and buy pure sea salt. It's pure white, uh, it's been purified, and it's pure poison. Okay? What you want is the ocean water distilled with nothing added and nothing taken out. So you may have to go to a health food store to get that or get this C90. Listen, it's so inexpensive to use. You should all be using it on your yard. Gil? And if you have Amish around, go to those guys to buy it because they are on to it. The okay. Amish communities have just sucked it up. Hmm. And you should be able to get it for about 15 bucks a bag. Yeah, it's pretty it's inexpensive. Not really expensive. Real inexpensive to use. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. We got a question. My uh, father has been a uh, contractor and has, for years, burned railroad ties in our field because he's got just scads of them. Of course, they're soaked in creosote. Uh, would the biochar be uh, useful with that, or will the creosote destroy the effectiveness? Okay, the question is, should we use the, <clears throat> the charcoal from railroad ties with the creosote in it? Let me tell you an experience. Uh, <clears throat> in our garden in uh, Placerville, California, we wanted to make some raised beds. So these guys said, hey, we figured out the place the, the, the um, um, highway department is taking out some of these old um, creosote posts along the right and they're free we can have them and uh, so we should get a bunch of those and put those around 
So I called about it and talked to the guy, and he said, what are you going to do this for? I said, well, we're looking for something for sides for the, for the garden. He said, absolutely not. He said, that stuff's so poisonous, we wouldn't dare have you use it. Uh, to so clean up that site, you could use biochar to clean it up. Yeah. Because uh, it'll absorb all those poisons into the biochar, and then, then use humic acid with it, and the humic acid will tie it all up too. So between those two, uh, it, it's a good way to clean up a, a bad site. And that's a bad site. You burn that stuff, that's got all kinds of terrible things in it. Yeah. You wouldn't want to grow anything. Yeah, you don't you don't want to eat the food that grows there if it does if it does grow there too. Okay, right, question. I wanted to clarify something. Earlier you talked about not using wood chips from conifers. Yes. But for the purpose of biochar it's fine to It's fine. Use. Okay. It's fine. It's good good. Uh, good use for that. Yes. Um, whenever you uh, make the charcoal and you dump the sand on the the wood, how long would you leave the leave that covered for? Just the just until the fire goes out. Oh. So dump it there and come back in a day or two. Uncovered. It'll it'll be out by then. Uh, <clears throat> you, you don't want any fire left in there because then it'll reignite and you'll end up with just ash. Okay. All right. Any other questions? <clears throat> All right. Uh, yes. So I'm having trouble grasping the mechanism of how this really helps the plants. Is that like the biochar is just the carbon that's left from the tree floors? So it's not really nutritive in itself, it's just the skeleton. And it's grabbing all these nutrients. Okay, so the question, go ahead. So the question is, is this just carbon that we're putting back in? Uh, it's a whole lot more than that. If you just put the carbon back in, you're going to get that negative reaction where nothing's going to grow for, for a while. So we've got to have a charge. We want the life. The, the, the biochar is where we're going to store the life, um, the biology for that land. Uh, and and that is going to give you the fertility that will reproduce. That will reproduce, and you've got to keep that moist so that it keeps going there. Yes. So could could you get the same effect by by putting in you know this biology you talked about wherever you get it from the mycorrhizal stuff, just putting that into the soil, and would you get the same effect by and just skip over the the biochar? Biochar adds about two times the power of any biology. In other words, if you were to, uh, if you were to see the, the studies that we have seen on biochar, here's the soil with biology, here's the soil with biology and biochar, and the plants are about twice as large. And they grow really fast, and it adds air to the roots. Okay, so those little honeycombs add air to the roots so you don't have that compaction that you would have in a normal soil, that tendency to compaction. And so go on, go online, go into Google Image, put biochar studies, and it'll show you this is with, this is without, this is with, this is without. It'll shock you. It'll literally blow you away. It's a job to do, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, you know, uh, I, I saw a study done 
by uh, a guy in Australia. Australia is way ahead of us. Are you from Australia? Okay, Australia is way ahead of us on biochar and on microbiology and soil. And I saw a study done, this, this university compared adding normal carbon from plant material to biochar, and he had exactly the same results, okay? But it didn't last but one year because it started evaporating to the atmosphere. Do you understand? Because it's going back into the air that it came from. 90% of plant material comes from the air around us, takes carbon out of the air, and it pulls it into the plant, and through photosynthesis, it grows the plant, all right? Now, when you, when you understand this, that biochar is so stable, it will never, ever, ever leave this planet again and go back into the atmosphere, because you locked it in. So not only do you have that benefit of the correct amount of carbon in the soil, it stays there. And you don't have to keep adding carbon, adding carbon, adding carbon, organic matter, into the soil every year because a certain percentage of it is going to evaporate into the atmosphere. Does that make sense to you? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I'm saying that that's not adequate. That's what I did. And that's not adequate. As deep as you can put that, put it as deep as you can. So in the Amazonian forest, it goes six to ten feet. How do you get it that deep? That's that was. I'm telling you what. That's a scientist thing that everybody wonders. How did they get it that deep? But they did. So how do you figure out ten percent? Ten percent by volume, because the charcoal is going to be very light. So ten percent by volume. Um, <clears throat> And so if you're going to go 24 inches, then you want two and a half inches of charcoal, biochar, okay, so and you're going to dig that in. Yeah, okay, so then, then you mix that up. Yes, but put it in as deeply as you're going to dig. So you don't want to mix it all throughout the... Mix it through the whole thing. Okay. Yes, yes, Phil, mix it through the whole thing. Okay, we had a question back here. What is the method to make biochar in home setting? Oh, how do I make the charcoal into powder? He puts it through a shredder, a leaf shredder. Yeah. But you can put it in a burlap bag and just hit it with a hammer. <laughs> uh, sure. I've been where we didn't have a shredder. I just took a big hammer and banged it. It'll work. Yeah. Okay, somebody had a question over here. Go ahead. Some, some soil scientists propose that all of the nutrients that our plants need are already in the soil. They just need to, we just need to add biology to make it available to plants. Now, that might be kind of understandable until I come to Florida and all I see is white sand. <laughs> it's got a lot of silica, but I don't see much else there. Maybe it's somewhere down deep. But any comments on that sort of approach? And it's yeah, and the University of Florida has actually taken the sugar sand from here. I live here, and I have a farm in the sugar sand. And uh, they have taken it, ground it up into a powder, put acid on it, has all the elements necessary to grow food. So don't worry about it. It will grow food. If the biology is there to, to make it plant soluble, it will grow food. Good question. Yes, ma'am. 
I had a question for the gentleman who grew the sweet potatoes. I was just wondering if you planted something else there, the same thing the next year, and how whatever that was did. Uh, let me repeat the question because they're recording I, this. I grew if you, let me repeat the question, Gil. Okay, the question is, did you, did you plant something in the same place where the sweet potatoes were the year before, and did we get similar results? Okay, Gil, what's the answer? I, I grew corn the following year in, the, in that area. And so I only had two rows of sweet potatoes that I did that in. So I planted corn in there. The corn was probably 18 to 20 inches taller than any of the other corn, and the ears were at, at least 12 to 14 inch ears. Wow. How did you make your biochar <clears throat> I made it out of a 55 gallon drum and it is a job. It is. And then you got to run. I have a backhoe, so I'm running, putting it on pavement, running over and smashing it down. I, I thought about putting it in that grinder, but man, it, it just throws it, it into a dust storm that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nasty job. Yeah. That's a good uh, testimony. But I would like to okay, add go ahead, something. Gil. Yeah. I, I haven't pre charged it, but I have the 30 or 40 gallon bags of raw charcoal that you can buy from the store, and it's oak. Is that capable of just crushing and putting in and precharging? Because it is it's a hard wood, and it, it's crackly. I mean, when you make biochar, it's like dropping glass. It's that clinky. And I, I noticed that it has that same texture and sound. I wondered that too, and I asked a, uh, a person that's an expert in biochar, and he said there's too many oils in it to be good for biochar. Because they leave the oils in it so it'll burn. That's right. He says if you take biochar and you try to burn it, it will not catch on fire. But this other stuff will. It's a hardwood charcoal. That's what you're talking about. And I thought the same thing. Oh, I could buy it by these bags. It'd be a lot easier than making it myself. But he said, no, absolutely not. Okay, yes, waste my time on the bags. <laughs> I don't know if you can get it to burn, but if you use sawdust, it's already in small particles. It has to be dry, really, really dry. So can you get it to burn and then you have to crush it out so badly? That's correct. But it'd be hard to get it to burn. Yeah. It has to be dry. And that's the problem with, with uh, they. Uh, what people do that do, do charcoal with chips and sawdust is they put it under a building like a pole barn, right in the middle, and they let it dry for a year. And it dries out into a really, really dry, and then they use it in charcoal. But I, I think that's a waste of a pole barn. Oh, <laughs> it is. Let me talk to that because I tried to make biochar out of sawdust and other things. and. In, in my barrel, um, using it, it didn't work. It just didn't, it was too much hassle, yes. Chips are better, but dry yeah. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.